1: Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler.
2: Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. Dr. Kathy Greenberg, my esteemed host, is with us today. And you know, between Kathy and I, we have helped thousands of leaders to perform in the top 10%. And the last couple shows, we have a specific interest in really focusing on uh, medicine and health care. And today, we have a great opportunity to focus on women's leadership in medicine. And we always like to have, bring on top performers, people at the top of the field that can teach you a few things that can help you, in, whether it's yourself or your organization. And we're going to be talking about women's leadership in medicine and we have the great opportunity to talk with Sherilyn gordon Burroughs. She's an MD, uh, FACS. She graduated magna cum laude from Howard uh, University. She retained, uh, obtained her MD at Washington University uh, School of Medicine, and that's where she returned to complete a general surgery training at Howard uh, University in D.C. And during her residency, she was granted a immunology research training fellowship at the Thomas Starles Transplant Institute, uh, and that's part of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. These days, to kind of she got a long uh, resume, but I want to kind of bring you up to where she is these days. Uh, Dr. Gordon Burles has joined the Houston Methodist uh, J.C. Walter Jr. Transplant Center in 2009, where her clinical efforts have been focused on liver trans, uh, transplantation. Uh, <clears throat> all these medical words, (laughs) hepatobiliary surgery and intestinal failure. She'll be better at saying these words than I am. She is currently an associate professor of surgery and has served in the role of program director for the general surgery residence program since 2003. She assumed this role of the designated institutional officer for the Houston Methodist Hospital in 2015. There, her research interests include access to transplantation, early diagnosis and surgical treatment, uh, and innovation in medical education, particularly in the transition from undergraduates to graduate medical education. So we met um, Dr. Burles in doing a program for a lot of her program directors and really looking at physicians, physician burnout, and, and she was the one who really kind of coordinated this, looking at what goes on with um, physicians today, and really looking at some of, the, some of the culture. So let me just say a word about Dr. Kathy Greenberg, and then we'll bring her on, and we'll have a series of questions that we want to ask Dr. Burroughs. So Kathy, as you know, um, has been called the First Lady of Happiness. She now has the First Lady of Fearless Living by ABC TV. She's authored multiple popular books on the science of happiness, including what happy working mothers know. She's a founder of four different consultancies and three leadership institutes. She has a free iPhone app called Your Happiness Now, where you get to see her kind of happy face and glowing face. Currently, she has the number one best-selling book based on her work in special operations, and it also looks at working with sports athletes and global executives called Fearless Leaders, Sharpen Your Focus. It's available on Amazon. And you can go to her website, fearlessleadersquiz.com, where you can take a quiz and get some free uh, downloads to see where you are in regards to being a fearless leader. So, Kathy, welcome.
3: Thank you, Relly. I'm very, very much looking forward to our show today uh, with Sherry Lynn, especially uh, you know having been a board member of Cancer Treatment Centers of America and a big advocate of uh, you know coaching in uh, the medical industry. I'm very excited to hear what she has to say. I also have a family that has suffered from. Uh, generations uh, of liver disease, and so I'm uh, really excited uh, to hear about her uh, historic work in the area of uh, hepatobiliary uh, uh, transplants. And uh, I'm I'm
2: you really, that really very anxious well.
3: to hear more. <laughs> no, no, well. You live around it. God knows she probably can say it a lot better than I can, and for all I know I've said it wrong. But the, the good part is I get to work with you, and uh, I think we're celebrating our, our ninth year going into 2017. It'll be a full decade. We'll have to do a whole series of anniversary shows to celebrate that. And for those of you who are listening, please, please uh, join us. Uh, We are now uh, in 27 countries, uh, 126 cities. We get about 350,000 downloads in our shows, and it's all because of you and your wonderful embrace, and we can't thank you enough, and we are looking forward to many more years with you. And I'm looking forward to many more years with my dear friend and co-host, Dr. Relly Nadler. You know, Relly is a master-level certified executive coach, psychologist, corporate leadership, and team trainer. And, of course, Relly brings his legendary expertise in emotional intelligence to all of his keynotes, consulting, coaching, and development programs. Relly's newest top-ranked book, Leading with Emotional Intelligence, provides all of us, anyone who wants to take a look, with hundreds of tools and strategies to develop star performers across industries, inclu- including yourself. I mean, you too should be a star performer. You know, his Leadership Keys field guide uh, is available not only uh, in hard copy on Amazon, but it's also an ebook, and it's a free iApp. It's called Leadership Keys, and you can download it with a simple click, and it gives you videos and lovely tools and tips to be your best Anywhere, anytime. You know, Relly has a very popular blog on Psychology Today. He has over 132,000 reads. I'm sure that number's gone up by now. And um, best of all, you know, one of the things I encourage everyone to do on our show is go to Relly's site called EI Central, and you can get so many EQ emotional quotient. Resources from him. So go to EI Central by texting EI Central to 3840. So text EI Central to the number 38470 or visit him at TrueNorthLeadership.com. So, Relly, um let's see. I don't know if there's anything you want to yeah, say I don't about know
2: Let's just bring on Sherilyn just so we can get enough time and we can you always come kind of back in with you some bet. of that. You know, stuff. Um, so, Dr. Burroughs, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you, and thank you for having me.
2: Thanks for kind of fitting us in. I know you're kind of outside of Houston now at a conference, and uh, I've so enjoyed getting to, to know you and, and your your passion for your work. Um, so we always like to to start off kind of hearing about kind of who's been some of your main influences, and that may lead to some of the themes that we have about really, you know, looking at women in, in leadership, especially in medicine.
4: Well, it's interesting that you would start out there because it's something that I don't think I think about enough on a daily basis, but when I stop to reflect on it, it's sort of a, an amalgamation of several different types of people and for several different types of reasons um i was i've been fortunate to uh be, have been raised by my parents and actually um still are very am very close with them having uh having them in the same town with me now currently oh. and so I <clears throat> consider them although we're very different in our personalities to have had an extreme impact on my life uh-huh. and then there are several educators from Uh, all the way back in the elementary school time that I still remember very well as if it were yesterday, and it certainly was not, Uh, through high school and uh, medical school, and uh, now those people who actually have trained me most recently um, in surgery and transplant surgery have all impacted my life uh, in in a dramatic fashion.
2: You know, so one of the things... You know, we know doctors are, you know, in the top one percent. You know, probably IQ and achievement orientation. And is there any kind of key messages that stand out from you when you were younger that you maybe carry with you that's allowed you to, to you know, pursue all the successes you had?
4: You know, honestly, I would think that as I look back, and thankfully um, have had some maturity now, it's it's really not taking myself all that seriously is what has turned out to be probably the best advice huh. that I keep telling myself. Mm-hmm. It's the best advice that I keep telling myself.
5: Yeah. And in
4: fact, um it serves me well in dealing with both patients and colleagues and the problems that come with that with you know that uh, domain. So uh-huh. I would say this is the number one thing because as you analyze the problems that come across your desk or or issues that can actually inhibit your ability to deal with people, to understand where they're coming from, oftentimes we get in our own way and we get in the way by taking yeah. ourselves too seriously. Yeah, I couldn't
3: have said that any better, and I, I understand uh, where you come from and why you would uh, take that uh, stand uh, in life. I do... Something very similar, Sherilyn. I uh, I don't take myself too seriously because it's hard sometimes being a competent, capable woman in an industry that is dominated by men. So it's a it's an easy way for us to also, um, if you will, accommodate and cope. But let me ask you: When you started this career journey, um, you know, often uh, as we can be in uh, you know a, a male-dominated uh, environment like medicine. Being the only female or, or a minority in the room, what what character traits do you think were really most important to your success?
4: Well, I'd say, aside from not taking myself too seriously, I would say also having a sense of humor it kind of goes along with that. Yeah. It, it's often very easy to mistake uh, statements that people make or offhanded comments as a slight, and... When you actually take the time to get to know people and where they're coming from, I think I've found that I am surprised oftentimes at how uncomfortable they are. Now, right. does that excuse you know outright malicious things? No, but oftentimes in these social-slash-professional situations, people are just trying to walk a fine line that allows them to say and be who they are while not being offensive necessarily or finding their own way of embracing you. And and they don't always succeed, and that is okay. I think to take yourself too seriously and not have a sense of humor actually detracts from the ability to move forward in a working um, relationship. So I would say those one and two things go together. The third thing, though, that in the professional realm sometimes has to trump this is having just a very high degree of um, of i would say uh, or probably the best thing to say is to to hold yourself to the highest standard possible. Now, do those two things conflict? No, you can actually hold yourself to a very high standard by have uh, having um, done your reading and your homework and staying on top of your game but simultaneously not making uh, people feel as if you are the smartest person in the room all the time or the person who knows the most and needs to be acknowledged for knowing that. So if you can balance that, I do think in these situations that I have been fortunate or unfortunate enough to have been in, in which there's no one like me for miles and miles in this room or the next room, I think it just it softens the situation. Oh, I couldn't
3: have said it better. And I'll tell you, it's so refreshing to listen to you. And I'm sure uh, both uh, you know, male and female members of our audience can take measure in what you're saying because often we hear something and we can take it personally and it's good to check in. I think it's also important when you say making other people feel more comfortable around us. It's it's fascinating when I think about the many times uh, that we blend in but yet we know we're different. And um, I guess the question is, do you think you were born with any of these special characteristics or you've just grown into them
4: No, I was definitely not fortunate enough to be born with them. I was a very awkward child, uh, very self-conscious, <clears throat> and um growing up in the Midwest in the uh, 1970s with parents who had immigrated from the Caribbean, I was quite different. And I you know, after some time I just kind of said, "You know what?" If you're going to worry about being different every day, you're not going to be able to accomplish anything. It's going to consume you. And I don't know that there was a magic moment or an epiphany, but I definitely know that as I sort of evolved through middle school and high school, it became much less of a concern for me. Mm. So I did have to grow into that.
2: And and Cheryl uh, Man, this is—I mean, what's great about this is a lot of the questions we have for you. You know, are very personal, uh, and appreciate you sharing this. I think a lot of this that we're talking about, you know, is the character building. And, you know, we're going to go to a break in just a moment, but maybe to come back with kind of how how did you reframe that? A lot of the work that Kathy and I do on coaching, and we know even from neuroscience, it's all about kind of what you're focusing on. And it sounds like you were able to focus on, and maybe we'll find out exactly what, versus being different. So this is Leadership Development News, and we'll be right back.
5: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America
3: We are having an exciting conversation with Dr. Sherilyn Burroughs, and we're talking about women's leadership in medicine. Uh, So, Sherilyn, when we went to the break, we were talking a little bit about character traits. Um, What would you like to jump into as we kind of move forward that really resonates with you and what you're doing?
4: Well, I think I've had, um, again, I'll use the word fortune because I do feel like a lot of interactions that we have uh, are, are opportunities. When I started interacting with patients, and I did so even long before I was a physician, I participated in sort of pre-medical programs and would get to meet patients. I was at classic candy striper. And I started realizing how privileged I was, not necessarily financially, but just all of the things that I had around me, um, the parents, the family, the fortune of good health, and I recognized that, you know, there are folks who are suffering in so many different ways. And through that suffering, people um, would have this ability to just emerge um, from their problems with a mindset that they could, in fact, um, heal themselves or be healed. And it it began to dawn on me that these were sometimes the most extreme circumstances that people were dealing with, and they remained so positive a lot of times, Um, if not because they authentically felt it, but sometimes just because they knew that's what they had to do to potentially turn the corner. And then they embraced it, and then authentically felt it. And I started... Incorporating uh, that mindset into th- the things that I thought were challenging me. And uh, I think with that, I-, I started learning about that growth mindset, that whole theory right. um, that implores people to be dynamic in their thought process of where they're going. And instead of the static, I want to do this, I want to, you know get this job or make a million dollars or have this house or live by the ocean. You know, those are there's nothing wrong with those things. But if you then can take it to the next step to say okay, what are the qualities that I so value that will help me round out this whole picture and when faced with something unpredictable, how can I change in a positive way to grow from that and continue to grow as I get more challenges? Because if you're not getting challenges, that means you're probably six feet under, and that's <clears throat> certainly not the goal. So I don't have, there's not one specific answer other than incorporating this whole mindset of. Each opportunity is a is a way to um, grow me a little bit better, mm-hmm. even though I may be thirty, forty, fifty, sixty years old. there's so much more to learn, and if yeah. I stay in the static place, then I'm going to miss out on so much and using these patients, sort of as a template of <clears throat> extreme adversity being the um, the accelerator, the catalyst for that growth, I think is something that I have just been so lucky to
2: um, experience. What's interesting, kind of, uh, uh, as you're saying, so dealing with the patients that you have, I mean, you see people suffering, and you know, one obviously being empathic for them, but it also sounds like it allows you to bring in the perspective of having kind of gratitude, uh, and for where you are, and we know just from a lot of the positive psychology literature, you know, just thinking about kind of what you have and what you have gratitude for does ch- have a change uh, in your neurochemistry. You know, so you're kind of bringing more of that uh, satisfaction and, and it may be cortisol and, you know, some of the other things that we know to the situation versus stress. Um, and I hear you saying, how do, I, how do I turn this into a challenge? You know, we know about stress, it can be a threat or a challenge. And so how do, you, how do you turn things into a challenge? Because I you obviously by... just to get to where you were, you had to go through a lot of hurdles.
4: Yes, and the focus thing off the potential negative and onto the spectrum of, of positivity. And I'm not at all implying that I don't have negative thoughts, uh, but it is sort of an um, intentional redirection that I, I didn't quite have that mastered when I was younger. And I would... Sure. Get caught off in the you know in these sort of long um windy thought processes mm-hmm. of okay, well, if this doesn't happen, then this is going to be even worse, and that's going to be even worse, and we're right. going to end up you know in in the dearths of society. no, it does not have to it could end like that, but I think with all the effort, both physically and mentally, it does not necessarily have to end like that and i you know i I want to be the first to say that when I Hear uh, the life story of some people I think while wow, <clears throat> probably nothing that I faced even nearly amounts to what they have so you know I, I never want to imply that uh, some people are um, experiencing bad things just because they can't think positively I, right. I don't want to imply that at all yeah but, again, seeing patients, particularly in transplantation, where there is both so much hope and despair all in the same conversation. You know, you may die tomorrow or we could get an organ for you tonight and you could live another 20 years. You know, that, wow. what a what a, um, a thing to face, you know, a dichotomy. And so there has to be some belief that if you continue to do what your part and then... Uh, believe the rest will work out that uh, the outcome will be better than if you don 't believe
3: when you talk about beliefs, can you mention or or maybe say something about how grit uh, works along with resilience in your world? We talk so much about individuals having grit, you know the the capacity to withstand and tolerate and pursue and Move forward in the you know in the face of adversity.
4: Yeah, I I get the sense of looking at the popular literature that the words are a little bit overused now. Sort of a it's a popular thing to do, but I think all in all, it's a very beneficial construct uh, for people who are facing challenges. And the way I understand it, and I would certainly love to hear you all's input is that the resilience is more of a um, mechanism that helps us deal with the stress and the challenges of life, uh, sort of the daily buoyancies of um, things happening unexpectedly, bad outcome when you expected a good one, that sort of thing. The grit is, I think, more of a um, long-term attitude toward uh, getting toward a a long-term goal. So I think if I understand them correctly and how I've uh, put it in my mind is that I need the two. I can't just be successful with one because the resilience is just kind of going to get me day by day. But I also, just like everyone else, have long-term goals that I have to recalibrate against to say, okay, I made it through, okay, for instance, last week I was on call. It was a fairly tough week. I didn't get a lot of sleep. It took a little bit of uh, resilience to uh, make it on less sleep than was ideal, and not see my kid as much as I would have wanted, and actually didn't even make it home one night. But long term, how does that play into my goals? I want to be a better surgeon. If I don't take more call, if I don't, um, you know, su- subject myself to what this profession takes to be better, then I won't. I won't be better. And so I have to now look into my ability to summon my grit to. To go long term with this,
2: huh. that's that's fascinating. Um, so let's say like last week, because a lot of this we've talked, and Kathy and I, when we do coaching, and you're familiar with this because you you have all these residents in a sense that you're coaching into a mindset. It's really about kind of how do you shift your attention and focus. So you, you use a nice term, Sherilyn, uh, attentional redirection, and I've heard this term similar attentional management. A lot of what we're we're doing, and I think you're probably doing also for the people that you're training, is attentional management. So here you're not getting as much sleep. Um, how did you you know bring up some of that grit or maybe willpower to kind of say, all right, uh, here's what I got to do to stay with it. Mm-hmm. Like, what did you anything specific you got to do, or is it thoughts and actions, or what? You know, how did you do that?
4: It's both, and I know you guys in your field, you have these fancy words for them, so i
2: will <laughs> right, I right. will let
4: you uh frame those words but uh <clears throat> simple sort of affirmations uh, uh-huh. that what is being done is part of the bigger picture, even though it's it's not so pleasant at the moment yeah, yeah. and um i no magic or science at some some days it takes um frequent the 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 frequency of it is more than i would like yeah. i mean i'm i'm lucky and I'm not everybody has an office my residents work out of a common work room and then they go see patients and then they do 12 hours of work and they go home but for me my refuge is my office if i can get to my office for 5 minutes and with just a lamp on and sort of um, I'm not so great at meditating yet, but I'm working on it. But just at least control the noise. I can come out refreshed as if I took a nap.
2: Wow! And, and so what? So, and so what are you doing for those five minutes?
4: I'm just focusing on the positive. Uh
5: huh.
4: And so I, if I am able, I don't answer phone calls. I might do something that I may even shop for two minutes. The shopping, I have learned, gives me <laughs> the endorphins <laughs> that, uh, of uh, you know, some similar to what some people experience when they go on vacation, literally. Yeah. I learned that walking into the mall can completely change my attitude. So I've learned that getting on Amazon can completely change my attitude. And I just do it for two minutes, and frankly, I, I may or may not even buy anything, just looking uh-uh. at stuff. So Good. I know that about myself. That's why we call it retail therapy. There you go.
2: But that's (laughs) fascinating because this is what we want our listeners to hear. Talk about the attentional management, you know, that you're, for for four or five minutes, a lot of times we'll talk about mindfulness or meditation, but it doesn't have to be that. It's just bringing that time back to you, and in that four or five minutes, you can walk out feeling recharged, you know, that's incredible.
4: Absolutely. Or if I'm lucky enough and uh, my daughter's not in school at that time, I'll call and talk to her. So, any of these little things, you know, just anything that that makes your heart smile, I think, is uh-huh. something that uh, can refresh most people and get them through another three or four hours or something. Is not necessarily the most pleasant.
3: And I think to the point you just made, uh, it is mindfulness. In a sense, really, you know, it's being mindful that you need a break. It's being mindful that you need some mind candy, uh, something that, you know, takes you off of task but into an enjoyable mindset, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think if we all of us learn that definitions can shift based on how we interpret them at an individual level, we can have resilience. In all different ways, and that's the real key for those of us in you know the resilience world. It's understanding that resilience, even though it's teachable, is not it's not a you know, curriculum. Uh, it, it's a self development, a self awareness. And mm-hmm. I think, Sherilyn, uh, you have really given us some good mind candy to think about. What right. is it that everyone can do that doesn't cost a penny? Uh, that well, you know makes us better because we've taken a break and given our mind, if you will, an opportunity to flex its muscles other than solving a problem or being focused on a task. hmm
2: And I think we call these you know, these micro initiatives. You know, small things. And and, and just what you said is great. Small things that can have a macro impact, and that's what we're trying to get our listeners to do. You know, and when we interviewed the first neuroscientist, I remember this was surprising for me the way to change the brain was with attention and focus and i remember thinking huh that's it you got to change how you <laughs> what you're focused on how you think and and Cheryl Lynn, what you're saying is so is so true and you're doing it so one of the things would be you mentioned the word growth mindset maybe just from your interpretation um you know what does that actually mean and then we'll go to a break
4: well, my interpretation and I don't want to presume to um to uh take the author somewhere where it wasn't meant to be, but how it it works for me is um to first of all hone the emotional intelligence skills to understand that in each iteration of your life whether it be um you know a change in job or a specific place or just a change in decade or a change in day a change in environment you will be called upon to exercise certain muscles and to evaluate your competency in some domain and you have to have enough insight to understand where you rate in your ability and then you have to have the the enough insight to decide how you're going to achieve the level of competency that is either necessary or at least acceptable to move a, an initiative or a goal forward. It does, so the key there is that you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to excel at everything, but you have to have the insight to understand what an environment is calling for and what you can contribute, and then grow from that. And then that is the next step in the iterative process of deciding where you're going to go from there. So the cool thing, I think, about the whole growth mindset is there's never an end. <clears throat> There's really never a conclusion. You continue to identify areas where you may not be so good and where you may be great. You, uh, you accomplish some things where you may not be so good just because it was necessary. You were there. You can't just do nothing. But then you open up a whole new area for yourself to say, okay, this is where I can spin this off or f- fracture this or fragment this into something that I can really, really make an impact in. And that's what's so cool about life is there's never the, you know, it's, it doesn't end until the end.
3: Uh Well, we're going to take a quick break, so don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Leadership Development News.
5: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
7: Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group programs, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch Kathy Greenberg at leading conferences and as a spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com.
2: And we're talking with a top performer here, Dr. Sherilyn gordon Burles, And just, you know, this conversation that we're having, you know, being so accomplished as a physician and transplant uh, expert, you know, for us to kind of get inside what goes on for you is just, you know, fascinating, and hopefully so also for our listeners. Um, you know, being a woman, being a minority, this aspect of how... How much value do you place on others' opinion? Because I'm sure, just like you're saying, this resilience and the grit—you know—you've had a, you've got your share of, of whether it was comments or put downs or whatever. How do you, you know, how do you deal with all that?
4: Well, I think someone once famously said, "Consider the source," and uh, while you don't want to di- dismiss anyone's contribution or potential contribution to uh, your environment and your education, you have to titrate that. Um, and this is where the, the piece that you all are so uh, facile with, the emotional intelligence, is deserves some attention. So if you are lacking emotional intelligence and don't have any desire to hone that skill, then you're going to see the opinion of everyone as equivalent. And unfortunately, that's not true because, as we all know, people have agendas. People have ulterior motives. People sometimes aren't even aware that they have these agendas and ulterior motives. And so it takes a little bit more work on the side of the individual who uh, wants to determine how much impact somebody should have on them to figure out where is this person coming from. So, you know, they almost, they say keep your enemies closer than your friends. Mm. You have to have some understanding of what motivates them and where they are in the trajectory of where they want to be in order to determine what, um, how much impact they should have on you. Yeah. And it, and it's, an, it's not even that finite because for each domain, they may be very different. So for instance, if someone is teaching you a skill and they um, are so uh, different in age than you that you will never really be seen as their competitor, then obviously there will be a lot more that can be taken in terms of um, authentic advice. Um, as your skill improves. However, if you have someone who you do consider a mentor who's just maybe a couple of years ahead of you, you have to be, sometimes you have to be very careful. It doesn't make their advice less valid in terms of the actual technical skill, but you may want to be very careful in terms of how they're telling you to navigate um, a certain social or professional environment, unrela- specifically unrelated to the skill. So, they could be a great technician and want to help you, authentically want to help you get better, but never want to see you as a competitor. Therefore, they may actually derail you. So, you have to be very cunning, I think, sometimes with that information.
3: You know, as you're talking, um, uh, I'm really getting a lot of value out of the dialogue, and I'm just listening and taking it all in because it's um, it's a different perspective, and it's one that's very unique, and it's not heard very often. You know, you said you had a daughter, uh, and um, when she's not going to school, you, uh, you like to give her a call now and then during the day to clear your mind. You know, when you think about your accomplishments, um, what are you most proud of, and, and what advice would you give your own
4: daughter? Oh man, you must be in my head because my, my she is actually my uh, my what I consider to be my proudest accomplishment. My husband and I both would probably say the same. And the reason for that is, a you know, as a physician and as a surgeon, um, it's very difficult to try to start a family as a young person. So I waited until I, I was older, and that in and of itself was difficult. Um, to be a, a working transplant surgeon and pregnant, um, but that thankfully happened without incident. And and it became clear to me like maybe a day after she was born that this is probably the most important thing I'll do other than making sure that the, the liver was put in correctly on, on any given patient. Uh-uh. So, you know, I, had, I have had and have the distinction of helping form this person's mindset talk about mindset and i could do it really wrong right if i give if i either overtly uh would say things to her that uh, wouldn't help or just even subconsciously uh were to give her examples to emulate that aren't helpful so it really made me sort of up my game in terms of being authentic and being positive and making sure my actions were consistent with what I was thinking and vice versa. So that I have summed all that up now four years later to say this has got to be the most important thing that I will ever have done.
2: That's huge. And so how old is your daughter now? She is four. That's, uh, that's amazing. You know, a couple things, Sherilyn, that I'm hearing. One is just your voice in and of itself, is, has a, it, it has, it's kind of washed with empathy, which not every physician would you have that. And okay. then the other thing I'm hearing is the kind of the mindfulness that you bring into the situation, and it's really is that pause, in a sense, and we talk about this. Okay, what do I want to see happen here? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? What do I want to see happen here? Am I going to get in my way? This could be a 20- or 30-second kind of mindful pause where it does seem like you do that, you know, in these situations and step back. Another way of saying it is really being more proactive than reactive. And um, so how do you, you know, how do you go about that? I mean, I imagine it's been a learned thing, but in uh, one, would you agree with that? You know, kind of that stepping back, not being on automatic, even if it's just for a minute or two?
4: Yes, and, you know, I think I... I've learned by my own mistakes. There were uh-huh. times, there were consistently times that I didn't do that, and things didn't turn out so well.
2: Uh-huh.
4: <laughs> and so um, I began to look at the thread of the um, situations where the outcomes weren't what I wanted, and I said, well, you may have reacted too quickly, or you did react too quickly. Um, so that's the piece that uh, I've really tried to focus on on taking a a mistake and not making it fatal, but making Uh, it a stepping stone.
2: But just hearing that, I mean, not everybody does that. Um, You know, and it does sound like it's it's been a learning uh, experience. And if you had to kind of think about some of this, is is there a core value that you have that somehow... Uh, summarizes this, or or that you carry with you in these moments. We call these, you know. Steve Covey said this: the the moment between stimulus and response mm-hmm. is the moment of courage. And Brene Brown kind of talks about this courage to look at yourself, you know, and and sometimes it doesn't always look good. Is there a kind of a core value that that helps you with that?
4: I think those are aptly put, and I would what goes along that. Which is my answer is the honesty that it takes that we don't uh, all of us don't always summon, but it's really the next necessary step now, if I want to give a a canned sort of reactive um response or have that tact or take that persona. It's so much easier, right? Because yeah. you can make it up and you can um, sort of put this faux thing together and you can make it sound very good. But if it's not authentic, first of all, you have to remember it, right? I don't remember who said the best thing about the truth is you don't have to remember it because it is the truth. <laughs> but it, and secondly, um, I think people people really can detect a lack of authenticity, you know, maybe uh-huh. not on their first interaction with you, but certainly over time people are not stupid. Yeah. And if you're if you're not listening to yourself, if you're not trying to better yourself, then you really sh- have no business asking people to better themselves.
3: Uh-huh.
4: We have a, a person who will remain nameless who um I'll I'll bash smoking on this show because we're all about health and you know, I just wish that cigarettes never existed, but they're uh, this person is a physician and also smokes, and uh, he had has been a mentor to me for many years. And he was feeling very uh, uh, liberal with his mentoring one day and telling me all the things that I did wrong. And it, I looked at him and I said, "But when are you going to stop smoking?"
2: <laughs>
4: and I didn't I didn't do it to be catty or to uh, be snarky, but I just wanted there to be an authenticity in the conversation. Right. You want me to work on all these things, and I will, but I, for your own benefit, for the benefit of your family, yeah. I want you to work on that. So um, that's an example of a time in which I was on the other end, and I felt like, well, this person's not being authentic because there's some things that uh, that need to be addressed and I yeah. uh, won't look at them. So.
2: Well, that, that takes a lot of courage. A lot of times they call this, this these crucial conversations. Um ha- And no, you have a lot of uh, residents that you supervise, right? Or or in your program, how many people are in there? And then, maybe, what are some of the things that you try to impart to them?
4: Well, yes, we have thirty-four residents, and I am the program director for uh, my uh, general surgery program. And I think the most important thing that I try to convey is that is the same concept I just mentioned—that mistakes are not uh, usually not fatal; Um, they are stepping stones. Huh. And to take an enormous amount of emotional effort or energy and channel it towards sort of self-deprecation or beating oneself up because one's made a mistake,
5: right. um,
4: it, that same amount of energy can go into safeguarding against making that same mistake. Let's think about the what, the routes that led to this and how right. we can um, mitigate them. So that's usually my my tone. Um, general surgery is known to be one of the more um, or the less touchy-feely type um, medical disciplines in which um, folks are generally asked to be a little bit more resilient. Uh, people think and learn to get by with less sleep, and uh, we've always had a rough edge to us. That's sort of what we're known for, um, and so oftentimes that approach of, okay, you made a mistake, get over it, is seen as part of that rough edge. But I'm trying to use it more as a life lesson Mm. um, for these young people because what we, the older crew, are always trying to explain to them is there will be mistakes. Patients will die, hopefully not because of us, but oftentimes despite what we do. People see that as a failure. And, um, you know, if If we're going to prevent 100% of people from dying, then that elevates us to something we're not, right? It's just not possible. So um, the mistakes have to be looked at, honestly addressed, and uh, mitigated. So when
3: you think about um, your career and where you're going and what you're going to be doing with this wonderful little girl, what sticks out for you in terms of um, your ultimate growth mindset and progressing professionally?
4: Well, um, you know, the the selfish part of me wants her to want to do what I'm doing, but I'll I'll get over that. What I think is the most important uh, for me, my charge with her is to have her understand that she can do anything she would like to do and anything she thinks that she's good at. So that has to be a combination. I would love to be an astronaut, but I don't know so much that I could spend all that time in that little place. Um, So I I wouldn't be so good at it. Uh, But she um, should be given the opportunity to to be exposed to any and everything. And I don't necessarily mean use all the money in the world to take her places. I think... use all the time and the effort to have her mind wander Mm. when she's young so that she can grasp the possibilities of being or doing anything. And then secondly, what dedication and diligence and hard work does it take to then be good at that as part B? So if I can convey that, I think I would have done my job.
2: Yeah. Yeah. She, that's beautiful, um especially you know had, to allow her to have her mind wander, you know to, and then be open and go wherever that goes, but then that's the the grit, the resilience, the growth mindset is that you have to kind of work at things and when I'm and hearing that you've learned really well and you're passing on to your residents is that whole idea of, okay, I could see this as something I did wrong, I could get on my case. How do I see this as a challenge, and what's my next step? and I, and also I hear you know I think for many of us if we're on automatic we lose some of these resilient moments by saying by saying I can't believe this happened why did this happen and they're just lost moments and this whole mm-hmm. idea of in the moment okay now what am I going to do you know really brings you forward really allows you to come up with solutions
4: they really are lost moments and if if you're like me and you count things you you don't uh-huh. want to lose any of them <laughs>
2: Okay, well, that's great. Well, before we end here, is there any kind of one person that you admire or you emulate?
4: Well, I do have a photo of Rosa Parks in my office. Uh Um, I never had the pleasure of meeting her. And I do understand that uh, there's kind of folklore around Rosa Parks and then there's a real story. But I do know that this is someone who uh, repetitively faced an injustice or, or a situation that she shouldn't have. And she very calmly and quietly and purposefully did her part to make a change. And I would like to be seen as that type of person, not reactionary, um, but one who's willing to see a trend, uh, educate folks on what should change, and then take it a step further to do something to change it.
3: Well, this has been such a wonderful opportunity to get to meet you, Sherilyn, and hear from you. And I agree with Relly. Your voice is just full of empathy, and I look forward to meeting you at some point. Uh, Relly, I'm going to go ahead and uh, close up, uh, unless you have any words of wisdom. Yeah, no.
2: I think, yep, I think, uh, Sherilyn, you've done a phenomenal job, so hopefully our listeners will be touched also.
4: Very good. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been such a pleasure.
3: Well, thank you. We, we enjoyed having you with us. And for those of you who are listening in, uh, please continue into the new year. We're going into our 10th year, and we owe it all to you. We thank you so much. You've been listening to Leadership Development News Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with Dr. Relly Nadler and myself, Dr. Kathy Greenberg. Thanks for tuning in to tune up your leadership performance. And remember, you can visit us at truenorthleadership.com